0: So, who's this guy that Kevin Holland's fighting?
1: Uh, the American bad boy Charles Ontiveros. He fights out of out of War Training Center, spelled W four R. W four R, Texas. <laughs> his found his found his foundation style is karate. He's eleven. He's eleven and six. He fights it. Well, he fights. I mean, he fights at the same gym as uh, as Trevin Giles. Trevin. Jo- okay. So he's a Texas guy, presumably. Um, yeah, that's what I said. He's from Cleveland, Texas, which I know sounds like an Ohio guy, but he's a Texas guy. 6'2", 76 inch reach. Ooh. Um, also, he's like a knockout machine. Fascinating. If, yeah, fights in Fury. Oh, you're looking at it. Fights in LFA. Uh, he lost to Michael Page in Bellator by ground and pound. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Well, I assume he got knocked. He lost to Nikolai uh, Varetikov, who I don't, I don't know that guy. Um, I'm surprised I mean, you Nikolai he lost to Jeff v- Neal. No, sh- no sh- shame in that. You know Nikolai Varetikov? Virent- uh, oh,
0: yeah. We grew up together in Uzbekistan.
1: He's not. He's he's, 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 he's Kazakhs from Nick, Kazakhstan. It's
0: a bordering country. You don't think people from Kazakhstan moved to Uzbekistan? Come on, Nikolai. What's wrong with you?
1: I thought you guys would have closed the borders after Borat. <laughs> 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 Go. C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dreyav and Nick Bracha.
0: Welcome to the MMA Geek's C-Level Podcast. Nick you Stan Drive, coming at you. Here to break down last week's UFC 254. Khabib Nurmagomedov reigns over Justin Gaethje. And then we're going to talk about this week's UFC Hall versus Silva. We're going to break down the whole card. Actually, a couple of decent fights on there, surprisingly. Nick, what were your thoughts on UFC 254? Khabib Nurmagomedov, dominant reign, finally coming to an end because of retirement.
1: It was a big moment. It was a really big moment. You know, uh Khabib's my my favorite uh, active fighter, I would say. Maybe, you know, Frankie still holds a place in in my heart, but he's not, you know, he's not I, I don't think at that quite at that elite level. So of the of the superstars, of the champions, Khabib has been my favorite. Um I think overall it was a very it was a very strong and exciting card with some contentious decisions and some great action. Uh, and some decisive KOs. It was a uh, listen. It had it had it all. The main event did not go the way I expected it to. I did not expect Khabib Nurmagomedov to go through Justin Gagey like a hot knife through butter. Um, and then when you find out after the fact that Habib had the mumps and a broken foot, <laughs> it's just like, what were we all? What were we all thinking? Did we get caught up? Did we get caught up in the hype? Did we do MMA math? It just it looked so easy. Two of those judges gave Justin the first round. I really don't see that based on uh, the kinds of punches he was throwing. And Khabib just seemed to, I thought Khabib landed uh, more technical, better shots and certainly was controlling the octagon. Um, You know, Justin landed a couple, a couple of leg kicks and and later said that he was four leg kicks away from Khabib not being able to walk. I don't know if if that's the case or not. Maybe, but uh, you know, great fight and certainly a really, an emotional ending, A really emotional ending that got me in the fields. But I was also, you know, I'm quite, con- I'm quite conflicted about it, um, about Khabib as a character because I have not yet reconciled as much as I really, really love him as a fighter and the way that he expresses himself publicly and what seemed to be his values and also his honesty. And then the number of pictures around where he's, you know, hanging with Putin or with Ramzan Katerov. And it's like, "Ah, is that stuff because of where he's from that he kind of has to do? Like, how does he feel about that stuff? Like, we don't know. We don't we don't know truly uh, where he stands as a human being ideologically. Um, So that's a thing that kind of in the back of my head that, that troubles me a little bit. But I'm a complete Habib Mark. So that's for me to reconcile.
0: Yeah, I'd say as far as how Khabib has behaved himself in the sport of MMA, you've got to give him plenty of respect. I don't think that Flawless. he is. Yep. Yeah, I mean.
1: Uh, Go, going after Dylan Dennis, but but even that, yeah. I mean, I give him a pass on that.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you would attack Dylan Dennis if you knew you could pull it off, right? Uh, Khabib did his thing, man. He Here's the thing. That first round getting scored for Justin Gaethje, I can see the argument being made for it. fact of the matter is that nothing happened for two minutes in this fight. Except for maybe two or three Justin Gaethje leg kicks for the first couple of minutes, and then Khabib just out of nowhere—it's almost like he wanted to feel Gaethje out. Then he just picked up the pace in a huge way. Nick started throwing with speed, started throwing lots of straight punches, lots of jabs, started throwing the occasional knee, kind of a switch step knee. He really started to put it on Justin. Because, I mean, I assumed that was all a part of the game plan to see if Justin was going to be aggressive toward him early on, in which case Khabib presumably would be careful. And if Justin was going to lay back like he said he would and give him space, then Khabib was just going to close that distance and pressure. And he was able to do that. Now, look, Justin landed those leg kicks early when nothing was really happening outside of that in the first two minutes. And then for the next couple of minutes, it seemed like Khabib was putting the pressure on and Justin was countering with big shots, including big, big leg kicks. And I realized that Khabib didn't show that he was much worse for wear during the fight. But from what I understand, he's still limping to this day, uh, which is understandable. Here's the thing. Khabib took him down with about 30 seconds left. He got dominant position and went for that armbar that apparently his father's a big fan of. uh, Kind of a testament to him. I don't know that that necessarily takes over the round for him because Justin Gaethje landed the bigger shots. I scored it for Khabib, but I think there's an argument to be made that Justin landed the bigger shots that round. They both landed the same number of strikes, but that's not what counted. What really counted is that Khabib realized he was much, much better than Justin on the ground, and Khabib, it's now been confirmed for him that he can take Justin Gaethje down if he wants to, and that's really all he needed. That's all the intel that Khabib needed for that second round. He came in in that second round, shot much earlier, took Justin's back when Justin tried to defend, and I mean, he transitioned to that armbar into the triangle and closed the deal. Justin Gaethje, who apparently talked about not being willing to tap uh, leading up to the bout, Khabib decided he was going to apply a move on him that would not hurt him badly like an armbar would, He decided he would change it into a choke that doesn't really have any long-term consequences as far as I can tell. Really phenomenal performance by Khabib, and look, this is the reason you and I were talking last week about how maybe the odds should be much closer on this one. This is the reason why I didn't necessarily think it should, based on Khabib's resume and based on Justin's, and here's one, I think, huge mistake that Justin made leading up to the fight. Not only did he give away every aspect of his game plan, not only did he honestly say that I trained with the number one wrestler Deacon in the country and he was able to grab onto me and I couldn't really get the best of him, right? He admitted that, but he also admitted Nick that his ground game sucks. And if Khabib does take him down, he's in huge trouble. I think he gave all of the mental ammunition that Khabib needed. Not that he's in need of his opponent's weaknesses, right? Because he's a mentally strong guy, but he gave Khabib all the knowledge he needed to know that he can probably just submit Justin Gaethje. Khabib being an elite grappler. That's exactly how this fight went.
1: Yeah, it was pretty, pretty remarkable to watch. And um, I noticed that, you know, that wasn't Khabib's first uh, professional career finish via triangle. I think it was actually his fifth. We just haven't seen him do it in the UFC. He was doing it across the caucuses in Russian fight leagues, different places um but it was a pretty i mean for the number of his finishes that he's got five finishes by triangle is a fairly high percentage that's like 20 percent of his finishes it's kind of remarkable that we hadn't seen it until now
0: yeah i'd say it's pretty damn impressive and what's really impressive about khabib is that in his last six fights he finished four of them nick and only went to decision with edson barboza and ally quinta uh finished michael johnson johnson conor mcgregor dustin poirier and Justin Gaethje, those last three finished them all in a row. I think his grappling and his specifically his, uh, I guess, Sambo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu went to a whole nother level in these last few years. He's already been an exemplary wrestler, but his finishing abilities against high-level competition has gone up through the roof neck in the last little while because you know he he did catch Conor McGregor when Conor was kind of tired, but Dustin Poirier he caught with technique. Justin Gaethje, caught with technique, uh, and he clearly just had a huge edge on the ground there. Uh, Nick, I think what's at least as important to discuss as Khabib Nurmagomedov's huge win as as his retirement, which we're going to get into shortly, Nick, is the fact that it was a huge night for your boy Stanislav, Nick. I not only beat you in our competition, not only shellacked you once again, not only did I get all 11 of the fights correct, Nick, undefeated on this event in my picks, but We're now over $1,000 on our bankroll, Nick. We had a huge profit, $270, which brought us up to $1,025, Nick. Every bet hit that I intended to hit, and then I had a couple of hedges uh, a couple of hedge bets where I ended up losing uh $20 on one $30 on the other outside of that Nick every bet hit for me so a really really good week to be me and I want to correct you on something important Nick last week you talked about how the crown is starting to conform to the contours of your head Nick you never held the crown the crown's been mine for a long time buddy I've been ahead
1: forever sorry my headphones were messed up did you say something
0: you know, Nick, that is literally the best return line that you've ever made, and it happens to be one that you've made probably 15 times on the show. Do <laughs> you know why you made it 15 or 16 times, Nick? It's because I've beaten you that many times just Listen, this season. It's
1: 15, 11, and five, dude. It's not like it's not a route you. I can. What did I say immediately 16, after the card? 16, 11, was, and five
0: with your fake oh, news. It's, wait, oh you're,
1: wait, you're 16. It's 16, 11, and five. Yes. Shit. All right. Well, I still don't consider that a blowout. There's still time. And there were a couple of fights and I don't listen. I had a good I had a good picking session, too. I only picked two fights wrong um, out of the 12, which is not bad.
0: Let's talk quickly about uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov's retirement. Um, yeah. You know, he spoke after the fight about how he spoke with his mom after his father's passing. And his mom basically told him, I don't want you going out there without your father. And he basically made a promise to her that this would be his last one. He would get this one out of the way. He would honor his commitment. And then he would move on. And that's exactly what happened. I saw a highlight clip of his father just kind of going around in Dagestan. And he had a camera crew with him. I guess they were doing some kind of a documentary-style thing. And Nick, he did seem like a fascinating guy. He seemed like he was super supportive to the youth. Everywhere he went, he had so much respect, man. He was like a... He was like a mob boss over there, only you know not to allege that he did anything illegal necessarily, but the guy really did earn a lot of his respect. the guy was extremely agile Nick for his sixties he would like run through the rocks in a way that like you at age thirty probably couldn't do. he uh played soccer and like legitimately scored goals and a lot of his teammates and opponents were young guys like the guy was an athletic dynamo at his age and, and he was by the trained. way he
1: wasn't in his 60s he he died at 58 he was not that old
0: oh really really so yeah so he hadn't hit 60 yet fair enough uh but yeah it's it's fascinating or 57 kind of actually
1: he died at 57 so like he did, yeah only tw- only like 12 years older than me like not that much older
0: yeah yeah but it's it's fascinating to see the kind of life that he led uh especially when it comes to kind of taking khabib out of the equation and khabib wasn't on this video, which was cool, but yeah, I mean, seemed like a fascinating guy. And it's similar to, I think what we saw with Leoto Machida, where as soon as he had his first loss, his father, who was his lifelong trainer, told him it's time to retire. And kind of a similar dynamic here, where as soon as the father was gone, the mother was like, all right, it's uh, it's over, it's time to retire. I tend to believe him when he says he's going to retire. I feel like he's the kind of guy that even if he gets the itch and wants to come back in a year, he's going to stay retired just for the sake of keeping his word. So uh, here we are, Khabib Nurmagomedov, the greatest lightweight of all time, in my opinion. Uh, One or two uh, when it comes to being the best pound-for-pound fighter on the planet. Henry Cejudo, in my opinion, is absolutely up there as well. There's now discussions about him being the GOAT. I'm not sure that I'm willing to commit to that just yet. What are your thoughts on that, buddy?
1: It's complicated. And obviously, John Jones talked a lot of junk uh, over the weekend about his his reign of title defenses and clearing out a division and longevity. But, you know, John Jones has been busted for drugs and John Jones has had, um, has lost a lot of rounds. Khabib Nurmagomedov maybe lost a round to Connor. I'm potentially, I guess lost a round to Justin, but it wasn't, if you're collecting information and you're completely controlling it and you have that look in your eye that he had in that first round, I don't really call that a lost round. Um, And he, you know, maybe you can look at the, at the uh, Gleason Tibow fight and, uh, you know, say that he lost, he could potentially lost a couple rounds there, but you know, how many UFC fights did he have 14, something like that. And just dominated strong fighters, you know, GSP is up there. So, I mean, Silva with the drugs and with the losses, um, he was certainly impressive, but As far as the guys in the GOAT conversation, Khabib had his performance has just been the cleanest, I think is fair to say. GSP is really, really close. He had two two defeats, uh, one due due to lack of experience, one due to hubris. He avenged them both, um, but he still had those moments. And there is greatness in coming back and coming back from defeat. Um, But GSP also against the elite wasn't much of a finisher. Um, and, and certainly lost a couple round, lost rounds to Jake Shields, lost rounds to Carlos Condit, lost probably a round to Michael Bisping. I think that the the performance that Khabib has given over the last four to five years is uh, the greatest four to five years of a, of a fairly active mixed martial artist that we've seen. How's that sound?
0: Uh, I th- I don't think that's unreasonable. I will say one thing is that John Jones has a bunch of wins over former champions and. Khabib Nurmagomedov has wins over two former champions. One of them is Conor McGregor, and the other is Rafael Dos Anjos, before Rafael Dos Anjos ever sniffed that title. So there is an argument to be made that Khabib didn't fight the absolute best of the best throughout like the years that he was in the division. A good portion of it was spent fighting guys like you know Thiago Tavares, Gleason Tebow, uh, Pat Healy, Daryl Horcher and you know michael johnson didn't michael johnson and edson barboza didn't exactly and ally quinta didn't exactly turn out to be just like elite elite fighters right so those wins are you know they're good wins to have on the resume but are they truly legacy builders i'm not super sure so i do think there's an argument to be had but then you gotta factor in the fact that khabib was not only undefeated like you said he was dominant um he didn't have anything sniffing a steroid suspension. And he ended up retiring literally, clearly at the top of the sport. Not like GSP, who retired you know, after arguably losing a, a, an extremely controversial decision. Khabib retired at the top of the sport after finishing his prior three opponents. Three of the best guys available in the division. So, yeah, look, I, I have no problem with uh, Khabib or Henry Cejudo being number one pound for pound. And that is in the men's division specifically. I assume in that case we are not counting Valentina Shevchenko and Amanda Nunes, of course. Uh, but yeah, he deserves to be number one or number two. I think that Henry Cejudo has multiple wins over like champions in multiple divisions. And that is powerful. If Henry Cejudo comes back here and he fights Alexander Volkanovsky and beats him, if he can pull that off, in my opinion, he is the the goat and the best pound-for-pound fighter at the moment. But in the meantime, I can, I'm happy to give that title to Khabib because I think John Jones fighting in an extremely weak division... And then preferring to pick his matchups over the last couple of years, John Jones popping for performance enhancing drugs several times disqualifies him from that conversation. So I think largely you and I are kind of on the same page. It's not an easy answer, but Khabib is certainly uh, near, if not at, the top of that pound for pound ranking. Nick, we've got some other things to cover on the card. Robert Whitaker, Jared Cannonier. You ended up, uh, you know, it was a super close fight, a difficult fight to pick. You ended up picking Jared Cannonier for his power. I picked Robert Whitaker for his overall craft and the fact that he was, uh, I, you know, overall more well-rounded than Jared and possibly better than him everywhere, even if. Robert Whitaker's chin was really the big concern, and Robert Whitaker put on a performance, man, just put it on Jared Cannonier did just about whatever he wanted, he didn't need to grapple as much as I thought he would because he just simply outstruck him and barely got touched in this fight. Really, really impressive by Whitaker, who now is in line to fight Adesanya. And I don't really think he kind of wants to. So I'm hoping that he comes back and and gets kind of an interesting, uh, maybe veterans fight before he uh, goes in there against Adesanya next. What are your thoughts, buddy?
1: Yeah, he said he wasn't super stoked for that fight. I guess he, uh, Cannoneer, um, he he broke his ulna. Uh, Robert Whitaker broke Cannoneer's, one of his ulna bones in his, with his first kick. Um, so Kennanier was fighting with a broken arm for, three, you know, for all three rounds and, you know, tough. He showed a lot of heart, but yeah, Whitaker, Whitaker was, was just had more wrinkles, more technical. And, uh, he fought, a, he fought a really smart fight. He got buzzed in the third round, but he, uh, he dealt with it quite well. It could be that, you know, Whitaker is just kind of like Frankie, like Frankie from a few years ago now, where, you know, you know, you know, he's going to see, um, canaries flying around his head at some point in the fight but that he he can kind of push through that um that happened a bit here it certainly happened in the till fight so you know we'll see i'm not i'm not itching to see him against adesanya but i don't know i mean adesanya hasn't had the middleweight title i don't think long enough for a you know some kind of super fight maybe uh i don't know maybe that maybe that's not true maybe the uh I think Adesanya is
0: eligible for a super fight if he really wants it.
1: Yeah, Cejudo didn't fight. Before Cejudo started bouncing around, he didn't have a ton of uh, defenses. So I don't know. I don't know what I want for Adesanya. For Whitaker, I have to check. I got to check the rankings and see who's even.
0: I think it's particularly interesting that Jared Kananier is number three in the world. Based on his win over Jack Hermanson more than anything else, and he got kind of dominated by number one contender Robert Whitaker. And uh, I don't know the top five. Like just we have a couple of guys that have looked extremely human in Paulo Costa, Jared Cannonier, and Jack Hermanson uh, lately. We've got Darren Till at number six, uh, Derek Brunson who's been looking phenomenal lately, but overall you know has has had a lot of mishaps. At number seven, Kevin Gastelum. Number eight. Chris Weibin is still at number nine. Nick, we got to admit, this division is kind of weak. And I think that Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya get to kind of benefit off of that a little bit. Um, If you look at some of the other divisions, man, they are just, they're, they're minefields, Nick. Just anyone that you are matched up with, is extremely difficult. Kobe Covington, Gilbert Burns, Leon Edwards, uh, George Masvidal, Steven Thompson, Damian Maia. That's at welterweight, right? That's some of the top names there. And that's not even mentioning the champion, Kamaru Usman. I just feel like middleweight is fairly weak. And and I think for that reason, uh, it, it might hamper Israel Adesanya's pound for pound ranking in the long term.
1: You got and Weidman, and Uriah uh, Hall at eight through 10. And it's like, think about their combined record over the last four years. Or three years it's not very good
0: I would tend to disagree like Uriah Hall seems to be oddly enough at age 36 kind of on the come up again but I, I do hear you Gastelum and Weidman are in really bad places in their careers right now
1: yeah Hall's I mean Hall's a, a coming up a bit I and mean, maybe looking at those other guys he's said I'm not I'm not questioning where they're ranked I'm questioning like if Kelvin if you've seen how Kelvin Gastelum has looked since the Adesanya fight and he's ranked you know and he's ranked eight you've seen chris weidman's only victory and what that in a while and what that looked like and he's ranked ninth it just seems a little i mean maybe those guys shouldn't be ahead of the marvin Vittori's and the edmund shabazian even though shabazian just has one defeat um to us to a, sur, a surging brunson uh there's interesting fights to, to see here though have we seen brunson hall yet because that's the fight i want to see if hall beats anderson silva
0: we did see that fight, I believe, a couple of years ago, but they were both in very different places in their careers.
1: Yeah, that'd be. I think that'd be really exciting right now. I'd also love to see Derek Brunson get his win back against Joel Romero. Well,
0: that would actually be a particularly interesting matchup given their trajectories. But let's quickly run through this card. We had uh, Alexander Volkov, Walt Harris. Volkov just basically dominated. Walt Harris has no heart and not very much conditioning.
1: Yeah, we knew. We knew that was going to happen.
0: Yeah, it was it was actually a value on the betting line, but I was a little bit concerned in that Volkov might uh, throw out a very slow, low pace where Walt Harris actually can look good with his speed advantage. Uh, Phil Hawes just ran through Jacob uh, Malkoon, 4-0 going into his UFC debut. Whether or not your training partners a former champion is not best-case scenario against an athletic dynamo and Phil
1: Hawes. He looked two weight classes lower than him. I'm like, being five nine. And that that overall size and that weight division is not a good recipe.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm there with you. Lauren Murphy, man, looked really good against Lilia Shakirova. Shakirova looked like she had some skill, but she was overpowered. She took this fight on super short notice, and Lauren
1: Murphy's a monster. And she did look she did look small and not as strong as I predicted.
0: Uh, yes, she did. Although you also predicted that another fighter would look small and you were way wrong. Cause he was way bigger than cowboy Oliveira. uh, chef was, it seems like those fighters from that Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan region, you seem to discriminate against about their size, Nick, but,
1: uh, well, I'm, picking, I'm probably going to pick one of them on the next card. So back um, yeah. off there, buddy.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah, Lauren Murphy ran through her. Here's the thing about Lauren Murphy. She looks like a different human being, Nick. She's a physical, just monster. Now. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not sure where exactly like this comes from. Just from her maybe being in a good place, but like she looks different physically, Nick. It's starting to make me wonder a little bit, but. She has been looking really good Uh, at 36. She's at her absolute best. And yeah, I think she has a really solid argument to make that she is the number one contender for that 125-pound title. In fact, Nick, I don't think there's anyone that has as many accomplishments as her. I know that Jessica Andrade recently made a move to the division, but she beat Andrea Lee, Roxanne Matafari, and, and now finished Shakirova in this last bout. Um, you know, she's got some solid wins there. The girl's been very, very legit for a couple of years now. So I would be open to her getting a title shot uh, against Shevchenko. Uh, I, somehow I feel like physically she'd be able to hold her own, at least in the clinch.
1: I think she needs one more. I I think the fight that was supposed to happen against Cynthia Calvillo is the one that we need to see. I'm open to that. And if she, if she wins that fight, sure.
0: I mean, look, that's more than almost anyone else has done. I think Jojo Calderwood was on tap for a title shot, uh, after I think only like one, maybe two stringy, two wins together. So, like, you know, Lauren Murphy seems to have to do more than anyone else does in this division, but that's fine if Jessica Andrade is going to get that title shot. But I like Lauren Murphy demanding it, and I think she's certainly earned it by the
1: standards of this division. Yeah, I'm fine with it, too, because then you don't eliminate Calvillo from a, from a contender.
0: Yeah, there is there's that kind of side benefit. That's a good point. Uh, Magomed and ran through Ian Cotilla, but basically redid what he did uh, uh, several months ago. Nick, I'm really glad that this blue chip light heavyweight prospect is finally moving on from training for journeyman Ian Laba for an entire year of his fucking life. I'm just really glad that he can move on to greener pastures. I hope that he is matched up with somebody in that kind of top five territory. Nick, do you
1: have anyone in mind? Yeah, and he's great. And he's a, he's a real problem for people.
0: I yeah, think. he is. No joke, man.
1: Who's the next fight for a Glover? I know there was a bunch of COVID stuff with Glover.
0: I think he's still matched up with Tiago Santos and the winner of that should get the title shot unless Jones decides oh, right, that he's not right. moving up. I would go that way. Look, uh, Frank Kalaev, I think Mishra Sirkonov, Johnny Walker, Nikita yep. Krylov, Cry- any of these fights would be solid. I think he called out Anthony Smith and somebody else that I can't quite recall. I but think he I murder think- Anthony Smith, <laughs> Oh, Anthony Smith, or Shogun, he called that. And Shogun's ranked at number 14. Let's leave Shogun alone. I wouldn't mind uh, seeing him fight any of those guys but in that 6 to 10 range. Anyone from Ozdemir, Smith, yeah. Krilov, Walker, Sirkanov, I'm into that. Kind of give him a little bit of a slow build up to that top five. Yuri, uh, Yuri Prashaska is you know right in at number five and after his UFC debut and going right in against number two in Dominic Reyes. This could be one of the fastest come-ups in the UFC if he can pull I think, these I think off. I think I...
1: I think a Goliath is a serious problem for the beloved Jan Blahovic. I think he matches up very well against Jan.
0: I I could see it. He doesn't quite have the experience in my book. Like, there's no five-round experience. Plus, Jan has a very how do i put this he he has a new doctor nick that that has just changed his career somehow i think much like lauren murphy by the way um so you know th- there's we'll more. talk
1: about that later i don't know if i that's a that's a deeper topic i don't i'm
0: not officially <laughs> alleging anything i'm just saying that yan Blackwitz himself has talked about this amazing doctor that has changed his life i'm just kind of throwing it out there i think it's interesting when a guy goes from complete journeyman to the best in the planet and just blasting through top competition after looking like he doesn't have that potential but it, it is it is fascinating um yeah so uh tied Vasa ran through Stefan Struve this is another one that was difficult to predict
1: I really screwed this up I don't know why I had faith in Stefan Struve
0: because he looked pretty good in his last fight against uh Ben Rothwell until Ben Rothwell just like Hulk smashed him, and Taituivasa has been looking really bad. But uh, I got intel that Toivasa has been training with AKA, yeah.
1: which is what
0: had me give him the edge.
1: Yeah, I, th- I thought that Struve's strength was Ivasa's weakness, and that at some point the fight would messily end up on the ground. And Struve just had, by the end of that third, that end of the first round, it didn't even seem like the punch. I mean, he's taken much worse punishment than that. In his career, but he just folded, and that was that. So
0: yeah, it was more of a willingness, like I don't want to do this anymore. I'm
1: over it, kind of thing. I wasn't gonna beat you anyway. Best I could have done was tie you anyway. So it is what it is.
0: Yeah, but even even then, you got a couple of picks wrong. We disagreed on a couple of those fights, and you made all right. Those picks. All right, we've been over this. Uh, we had uh, Casey. I, next Kenny. time, next
1: yep. next time I beat you, I'm going to come to your house uh-huh. with a megaphone, uh-huh. and we'll record, and we'll record from there. Because I'm t- I'm being I'm being gra- I'm being graceful in defeat, and you're trying you're trying this heel this heel persona on, and it's a hat that doesn't fit. I'm the only heel. Nick,
0: speaking of hats that fit, did I tell you about that crown that has been on my head for a couple of years of the recording of this podcast? Now that feels no, good. No, no,
1: I heard about it. I heard about I heard about the blacksmith that you would ascend it to to have it extended three sizes for your giant goofy dome.
0: Nick, I do have a lot of brain power. I will not lie to you there. Casey Kenny. Took a somewhat tight decision against Nathaniel. What I expected this to be
1: tight. That was very tight.
0: Yeah, yeah. I expected this to be a competitive fight. I expected this to be fight of the night, and I think that came true. Is that right, Nick? Did this one end up winning fight of the night? I think so. Casey Kenny looked really good. Nathaniel Wood made a great accounting for himself, but now Nathaniel Wood is one and two in his last three. So his prospect status is in a little bit of danger. I hope that the UFC still believes in him enough to give him a little bit of a slow roll here. That was a
1: great fight. That first round was was I agree. So, so exciting. And, you know, Casey Kenny definitely overextended himself and put himself at major risk of losing the fight by virtue of his output in that first round.
0: Yeah, which is a common thing for him. He has gotten tired in that third round before. Um, after just like letting all of his skills go in the first round, or he was
1: t- he was tired in the second round, <laughs> very tired at the beginning of the second round.
0: He was tired in the second round, but he came back in the third round and and yes, and he took did it with grappling, which was really impressive.
1: He really did. He had a lot. He had a lot of heart and he used his grappling. But wood, I mean, wood can throw. I'd, I'd yeah. watch those. I'd watch those guys fight every month. 100%. I hope they get. Hope they get to fight again. Terrific matchmaking.
0: Yeah, hopefully they'll be closer to that top five territory the next time they compete. Hopefully, maybe, possibly one of them defending a title against the other. Uh, Shafkat Rahmanov ran through Alex Oliveira. Uh, that was one of my bets. I was surprised that he was an underdog, and I jumped all over it. I I, I think Shafkat is such a legit talent. He's a he's a scary, scary finisher. His ground and pound is nasty. Standing up, he's really good. Great guillotine. Yeah, his guillotine that he showed in this in this matchup was really solid. He just, like, didn't let Alex Oliveira into the fight. And this was Shafkat's UFC debut against the super veteran in Alex Oliveira. But Shafkat dusted him.
1: What else was that? The whole we talked. To... Oh, we got the... Dao
0: Zhang, Sam Alvey. Yeah, just you know, Sam Alvey being the craftier, better fighter, and Dao landing landings the bigger bombs in that third round. We've seen Sam Alvey kind of tire late before. Miranda Maverick ran through Liana Jojua, and uh, Joe Alvarez ran through Alexander Yakovlev. Joel Alvarez uh, coming through as a serious prospect now. You gotta you gotta pay attention to this kid.
1: Yeah, he can uh, he can take some limbs, but good. You know, really, like very satisfying card. And Goliath's win was super satisfying. It was um, the Sam Alvey and Jung fight was all action. Yeah, you know it's, it's it's kind of anticlimactic when a fight ends as a draw, but I mean, I was I was okay with it. It was for for what the expectations were for that fight and previous Sam Alvey fights, and it being at light light heavyweight, like pretty good. You know, pretty good scrap. Um, Murphy was dominant. Hawes murder, death killed. Volkov put on a clinic. Whitaker put on a clinic, um, and that main event, like it's just a st- stacked, fully enjoyable card, worth every penny of the sixty-five dollars. And we got to see a very honest moment in sports, and it did. And, it, and what is probably can be described as a largely dishonest uh, business, uh, the fight business. Khabib Nurmagomedov letting his emotion out for his late father after that win and then announcing that he was keeping a promise to his mother. Like I'm not a super, I'm not a super sentimental person, but when I play video games that have a, uh, a paragon or bad guy option, I always lean towards the paragon and Khabib Nurmagomedov behaved like a paragon. Like I just have, you know, it was a, it, when they talk about role models in sports, I look at the way that Khabib has been for like, Again, I don't want. I don't know enough about his specific politics, and I can't pretend to know much about the real man. But the persona he has put forward uh, in that cage and the way that he has behaved around the business is is just straight up role model behavior. It inspire it inspires one to be better and to do better things. That's my perspective, anyway.
0: I'm there with you, Nikolai. And I think Khabib, the paragon, or Magomedov would have worked well had you maybe informed his camp of this idea earlier but he is at his retirement and we're going to have to look forward to a new lightweight champ real quick, Nick, any thoughts as to who should fight for that lightweight strap? If Khabib is in fact vacating it,
1: you know, I know that they don't, I know that they don't like tournaments, but I think it would bring, and I know that they like to meet a bunch of, of five round non-title fights. I hate interim titles. You put Gagey, Connor, um, Michael Chandler, and like, uh, Poirier and Ferguson and maybe hooker, Olivera. How many, hang on. How many is that? Gagey, Poirier, <laughs> Ferguson, McGregor, uh, Dan hooker and, and Ol- Olivera. Yes. You put together, um, a tournament, huh? Yeah. I guess you would need eight. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to do a four man tournament is
0: probably more realistic
1: Then you do. Gagey Poirier. Well, the problem then is, then I would keep Chandler out of it. I know they're going to put him in, but I feel like A. G. Poe, Ferguson and McGregor all deserve to be in that tournament. Like, I don't know which one of those guys you swap out for Chandler. Who's
0: Ferguson going to fight as a problem. He's probably not fighting McGregor coming off of uh, with Tony coming off of a loss. And he could fight Poirier. That would be interesting. But Poirier's already matched up against McGregor. So that leaves Gaethje and Ferguson,
1: who just fought. Yeah, we don't need that again.
0: Right. If you put Chandler into the equation, that kind of spices things up. And look, I think the argument could be made that Justin, based on his last performance against Khabib, maybe he doesn't deserve that strap. I think it would be a little bit odd to see Justin holding the strap after getting, you know, shellacked by Khabib the way that he did after showing that. He's got almost no Brazilian jiu-jitsu at this level. I
1: don't know. We had we got – John Jones got – I mean, uh, Dana Cormier got the belt that way. He got, he got the belt right after a, sh- a head kick shellacking.
0: That's true. And you know what? Is he truly considered the light heavyweight champ? I don't know. I think there's a lot of people who would question that.
1: Everyone we're talking about, except for Ferguson, who got beaten to a coma his last fight, has, has been strangled by Khabib. <laughs> like, they're all – no matter who gets the strap, there's a really good chance he got, he's got. he been strangled by Khabib up. So – I mean you can I don't think from a time perspective they're going to want to do an eight man and then you run into well are some of them five round and some of them three round. So if you swap out Gagey cuz he just fought, you do Ferguson Chandler, Poye McGregor. That's fine. That works fine and you and you maybe give uh you do like you could do Gagey Hooker, Gagey Oliveira or what was the fight that um that Diego Fehea was just that just backed out of. He was supposed to be in a fight that's and it got canceled, and it was sure a good – it was a – it was a – oh, Drew Dober. Oh, that's right. Like, I was. That was like one of the fights I was most looking forward to this year. Um, area, yeah. So – and you got those guys coming up the rear. You got Islam uh, Mahashev, who Khabib, I b- think, believes is, right. is his heir apparent. And it's like, if you want to fight me, yeah. you've got to get through Islam. That means – Khabib's father if, thought that if as Khabib well, is, if If they're saying that, then he's not to be fucked with. <laughs> so – He's has he's pr- well they're they're promoting their guy
0: he's obviously a really yeah. good fighter but they are promoting their i guy guess so
1: but i right also now. don't i don't if someone's not ready i don't think could be mentions his name that's all i believe i want to see i'm looking forward to the next islam Khashoggi fight i guess it's been very hard to get him fights also um yeah i mean drew dober ranked below gregor gillespie is ridiculous
0: i totally agree with you
1: drew dober ranks below ally quinta and kevin lee is kind of ridiculous uh but Benil Darius is surging. That's a great fight. I mean, this this division is still just the first twelve names in this division are straight fire.
0: Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to the bottom half of that top fifteen coming through. Guys like Ferrera, uh, uh, Diego Ferreira, like you mentioned, he's Darius, he's ranked hopefully eighth, keeping his stuff together. Yeah, he's eleven. Drew Dober. Well, yeah, the bottom half of the top fifteen. Oh, got, uh, it, got, uh, it, it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. You know, Islam Makachev, some of these guys, like I'm looking forward to seeing them face off with the Gaethys, the Poiriers, the Fergusons, the Hookers, the McGregors. That would be fascinating. Charles Oliveira is looking phenomenal. I mean, yeah, look, the 155-pound division will keep on trucking. Hopefully in a couple of years we'll be wondering whether or not whoever the champion is in the division, maybe not even a guy that's on the list right now. Uh, we're going to be wondering whether or not that person could have beaten Khabib. I think this, this division will kind of establish itself sooner or later, but it is hard to see any of these guys going head and shoulders above anyone else. So there's also a chance that we'll see a round Robin of guys holding that 155 pound strap. Nikolai, that'll do it for the segment. We're going to take a break, come back and break down this weekend. Surprisingly good card Headlined by Uriah Hall and Anderson Silva. Back on the MMA Geeks podcast, and we're going to get into UFC Fight Night Hall versus Silva. Nikolai, it is your first pick this time. And the way it works is we each take turns picking fighters that are on the card. At the end of Saturday night, whichever of us has the most winning fighters ends up winning the week. I have 16 event wins to Knicks 11. Nikolai, what is your first pick, buddy?
1: Oh my God, I've got first pick. What do I do with it? (laughs) What do I do with it? There's so many. There's actually several potential first picks. And there's this new one now that Kevin Holland has an opponent, but man, I've picked the favorite against the who the hell is this guy like twice already during COVID and it it hasn't, it hasn't worked out particularly well. No joke. I'm going to take a fight that I just don't see going of any other way. I'm going to pick Sean Strickland. I think the more, the faster, more successful, well-rounded mixed martial artist to defeat the journeyman, journeyman, Jack Marshman. I just, I just don't I actually don't think this is great matchmaking. I don't feel like their trajectories uh complement one another.
0: Yeah. Marshman stepped in on short notice after Wellington Tournament tested positive for COVID. Oh, actually. that's right.
1: right. Yeah. Well Wellington Tournament shouldn't be fighting yet anyway, since he got knocked into Bejesus earlier this year. He did get
0: starts, but they're Brazilian. They don't really respect like, you know, time to take a break after a knockout or COVID or any of that stuff. He's not Brazilian. His name's Wellington Terman. He's not. I don't know Brazilian. why, but like some Brazilian parents just <laughs> decide, we're going to name our child by a very American or British name yeah. and hope that our child can make something out of him or herself over there. Uh, Johnny Walker, I know, kind of renamed himself, but he's another example that comes to mind.
1: Wellington is the least Brazilian name. Wellington Terman.
0: Yes, of course.
1: Dear boy. Yeah, exactly. That's what what it sounds like. Anyway, he he was speaking nine different languages after he got flattened in his last fight.
0: Nick, don't be mean to Wellington Terman. He's my guy, goddammit. I know. He's he's one of those guys that you like where you're wrong. (laughs) But go ahead. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, Marshman has plenty of heart and grit, but he should be outcrafted in every facet of the game here. Decent striking alone is not what's going to get you against a guy like Strickland. Uh, Strickland has been out for two years, but should still get a takedown in an early submission here. If he wants it, it'll be there. It's. I think it's really that simple.
1: Where was this for you? High up there?
0: This was, yeah, one of my top three. Okay. My first pick, Nick, is going to be Greg Hardy to beat Maurice Green. I happen to think that, that was that your second pick?
1: It was. I mean, dude, I think there's. I think there are at least four fights on this card that would have been fine first picks. This is one of them. Yeah, I'm there with you. I just don't, you know, it's good. Yeah. Green showed a lot of fortitude. It is in his last fight. Um, I agree. So I, you know, I've picked against him and been wrong. So I was a little more cautious. I've never picked wrong against Jack
0: Marshall. I hear that. Uh, Green has talent, but at age 34, he's struggled against the more talented and more experienced UFC opposition. He has decent striking and some good grappling overall. Let's say Hardy is very athletic, trains at ATT. Uh, which I believe is one of the best MMA caps on the planet. He's looked good against prospects, but struggled against top contenders And like Alexander Volkov, although it was a competitive fight considering the experience gap. He has serious power and is only two inches shorter than Green, who is 6'7". I favor Hardy Big here. He'll keep it standing and land almost at will. Uh, curious how much better he has gotten since his last fight six months ago, but the guy's constantly improving. He's super fast. He hits incredibly hard, and he's able to stay on his feet against seemingly any level of opposition so i like greg hardy here who was a terrible person but a pretty good fighter
1: well i yeah it's a, it turns out that a friend of mine works with hardy's best friend at a, at a business type job uh-huh. um and that they had played uh they played football together and he speaks very well of greg hardy and his work ethic and basically described him as the even among nfl players like the the craziest heart, like hardest worker, most intense guy around. So I would suspect he's got he's gotten better. There may be things genetically around his gas tank um, and just his size, like, you know, car- I do believe that some aspects of cardio are genetic and um, for heavyweights, it might be even worse. Like we may never see this guy going going, you know, strong after seven minutes. But yeah, this should be this should be his fight. I actually think
0: he's improving in that regard.
1: And yeah, I have no doubt. He's somewhat, somewhat. Yeah, but it used to be atrocious. And now it's uh, now it's it's middling. Well,
0: yeah, but that's the thing. He's constantly improving. And I wouldn't say middling like he went his card really strong for three rounds with Volkov, who we know Volkov is a monster. We know what he did to Walt Harris last week. Right, he's the kind yeah. of guy that if you're not ready for anything close to top ten, he will smoke you. And he, Greg, Har- Greg Hardy looked okay considering the huge experience gap. And yeah, I think that that focus that his best friend alluded to that definitely explains
1: why Greg Hardy's gotten really good at MMA pretty fast. He's all, well. He also has a, he has a much better chin than than Walt. Harris no doubt. Has. Yeah, that's and sure. I mean, and I and I say that with your, with every uh, metaphorically because I'm talking about every aspect of the body. Um. <laughs> So okay, it's my pick again. yeah right? Oof. Uh I'm I'm gonna take and sometimes like I don't I don't pick and you may mock me. I go and I pick the guy that I even if there's a bunch of close fights. Yep. Uh, that I pick the guy that I that I believe in because I want to be a. pick. Oh, I think that's
0: him. a smart. I think that's definitely a smart call, dude. Like you want to uh, go with you're the guys not, that you. No, I'm not. I'm not bullshitting you. You uh, want to go with the guys that you believe are likely to win. There's a reason you and I sometimes skip over a huge favorite for like five picks.
1: Yeah, like we're doing right now. Yeah, with Kevin Holland. Yeah. Um, the uh, I mean, there's three fights to pick here, and this may be the least sure thing, um, but I just do not see. Uh, Thiago Moises beating Bobby, the Bobby Green that's been showing up. Yeah, I'm there with you. Bobby Greens look like a million bucks recently. Uh, Thiago Moises has a path to victory, which is subs. The last person to sub Bobby Green was Dan Lozon in like 2009. I don't think Bobby Green really gets submitted. I just I think he's one of those guys who you can put him in the tightest guill- guillotine and he's gonna find a way out. Like, I think I think this doesn't look that different from Bobby Green's last fight against. uh, was that against Claude Patrick or Alan Patrick? Alan Patric, I Patrick, believe, Yeah, De- or, or Patrick Dempsey. Okay, it was Alan <laughs> Patrick. Um, I think I think Bobby Green styles again. I don't think the I don't think the the Bobby Green resurgence hype train stops with Thiago Moises.
0: Uh, no, I don't particularly think it will either. Thiago Moises has solid submissions. I don't think he's a high level black belt. I think there's a lot of word out there that he is. Bobby Green has excellent takedown defense and out craft Moises on the feet in this one. Uh, he's got, Moises has got nothing for him standing, right? Obviously on the ground is the only place he stands in danger. But like you said, Bobby Green is not easy to submit. Um, I like his ability to get right back up, even if he is taken down. And uh, I, I like Bobby Green to make a four in a row to add a paragraph to his career resurgence that he's kind of in the middle of. He's one of the few fighters that has made the best out of the age of COVID going into this fourth fight in like four, four and a half months. So
1: yeah, I'm definitely And he you. wins this fight he wins this fight at his age he he deserves i'm going to do some on the fly I know i'm going to get ahead of myself which means he's probably going to get tapped out in the first 30 seconds <laughs> but um let's let's just talk for a second about about matchmaking cuz he's he deserves at his age and with what he's been rattling off like, who do you give him? Do you give him, if Gregor Gillespie comes back, do you give him Gregor Gillespie? I don't think you feed him to Islam Makachev. Dan Hooker. Would take the, he would, uh, I think that's too much of a step up. That's, that's going from unranked to number five. Yeah, but we're that's talking about intense. Bobby
0: Green has been doing this for God knows how long.
1: If Bobby Green. Nope. I got the better, I got the better fight. Go ahead. Ally Quinta.
0: Yeah, I'm fine with that. Sure. I just feel like I think that's the, like that's the fight where Ally Quint is not exactly doing well for Bobby Green, that would be more risk than reward. I know that Isle is ranked. I hear you. but,
1: yeah, he's ranked really He's ranked high,
0: yeah, no, I rank in the top ten, yeah, no, I do hear that, but like he's been looking terrible for a long time, and Bobby Green is surging at this point. I just feel like if Bobby Green at this age wants to get to a title shot, let's climb those fucking rankings. And a guy like Dan Hooker, who wasn't in the UFC when you were like ten fights deep, you can you can match up with Dan Hooker for God's sake, you know.
1: Yeah, I give him if Paul. Fel, I mean, Paul Felder probably won't come out of quote retirement for that, but I think Paul Felder think needs Paul to Felder, stop calling
0: it retirement. He just had a fight and he's taking a little bit of a break. This is bullshit. This Paul, whole I am willing I think to come Fel- out of
1: retirement for this. Like Paul Felder's in well, the top
0: ten because he's a nice guy.
1: What I think is Paul Felder versus Bobby Green is a barn burner. I'm. A-
0: I'm into that. I actually think that that might be a fight that Paul Felder takes because Bobby Green has some heat on him right now. He's uh, fairly popular with at least hardcore fans. So I could see them main eventing like a like a smaller UFC fight night.
1: Yeah, I would be really excited for that fight.
0: Yeah, I would be into it as well. So, uh, Nikolai, I agree with you on the pick, my next pick. I'm gonna go ahead and pull the trigger on Kevin Holland to beat Charlie Antiveros. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing,
1: you weirdo? Um, wait, wait. I'm laughing because there's no way this is gonna work out. <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> Maybe you're right. Then, uh, Ke- how many? How many times? How many times has the oh shit he's fighting somebody else? Like where? There's been. Okay, hey man, it's your funeral.
0: <laughs> I am. You know what, Nick? You're right. I'm not making this pick. I'm making a different. No, it's pick. too late. You said it. You um, said it. I, I am. <laughs> I am picking Kevin Holland, a sharp striker from a distance like serious speed especially early on he's a pretty good grappler as he's a bjj brown belt at least as of a couple of fights ago maybe he's a black belt now but he doesn't hold top position well as most grapplers are able to reverse him eventually he can lose steam by the third round even if he's be like especially if he's being pressured like he did in his last fight against darren stewart where it was looking really rough for him late there but I like him to beat Charlie Ontiveros. Ontiveros has a bunch of losses. He's kind of a journeyman, but he's a journeyman with serious power. So I can see him catching Kevin Holland early in the fight.
1: Yeah, I mean, we just found out about this fight like three seconds ago, yeah. so I don't have a, I don't have a heck of a lot to say except no thanks, Nick. <laughs> I, I just gave
0: you the lowdown on Charlie Ontiveros, and I just found out seconds ago, and
1: you can't even give us. I know, but we don't. Re- you don't really know until you. I don't know. I just. I was reading the same information you were. You yeah, but like I watched seconds of video. Nick, I watched
0: his entire last fight. The whole thing.
1: Which was again. Okay. All right. Well, hey, I'm glad you picked with confidence. I hope Kevin Holland gets starched. Okay. Can I just say so, his last
0: fight lasted all of a minute and 35 seconds?
1: All right, congratulations. That's why I was able to fit fight. that in.
0: I'm so proud of myself. I did my research, Nick, and you didn't. It's like every other fight on this card.
1: Boom! Boom, Nikolai! Who even told you this fight was happening? <laughs>
0: you did, as a matter
1: of fact. Captain, <laughs> Captain research. <laughs> What's your next pick, buddy? My next pick is Adrian Yanez, uh to defeat Victor Rodriguez at uh, at 135. I think on the contender series, Adrian Yanez was extremely impressive. Quick knockout. You've got the number two, according to topology, the number two bantamweight in Texas against the number two uh, bantamweight in Alaska. So you're dealing with from a, a square mile. Um, footage the two largest the two largest states but one I believe is considerably more populous than the other wow that was really Um, important to know for this matchup there's a lot more more competition
0: (laughs) (laughs) you like go on Wikipedia and find out about the guy's towns as I'm watching tape (laughs) yeah (laughs) I round it out
1: Uh, I think this is a bit of a showcase fight uh, for Yana as the guy who they they nurtured up through the contender series Um, and that he's that he's on a different level from victor rodriguez who you know i don't want to evoke um you know names like uh, that means five five yeah five five uh i'm not sure what his gym is his fights are in organizations like blood sweat and beers and metal and mayhem against guys with records such as zero and three and one and one um he did beat an eight and one guy at alaska alaska fight club i'm sorry a six and two guy at alaska fight club but but, uh, you know, you look at his opponents and you don't, there's not a lot of folks with Wikipedia pages. I just, I think, I think this is, he's, I think Victor Rodriguez is the true definition of a regional fighter. Um, and that Adrian, Adrian Yanez should, should be able to take this with, with ease and probably get a knockout fairly quickly. Um, if, he, if he shows the, uh, the poison power, he did against against brady huang
0: nick it's always exhilarating to be here to sit through you live actively doing research as we record the podcast very exciting stuff Uh, wait wait you could tell (laughs) definitely
1: (laughs) <laughs> damn it yeah, yeah sorry yeah
0: now is a clean technical boxer with serious speed in his hands he likes to pressure <laughs> with fakes jabs and kicks he made, he, but he
1: made me feel really bad <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah you start like listing the, the everybody's last five opponents even though there's not a single opponent that we like know on that list you just keep going <laughs> it's so great <laughs> so uh yana's uh, he, he likes to pressure with fakes jabs and kicks uh but his goal is to get you to throw something so that he can counter and he counters almost everything that an opponent throws and more often than not it's in combos uh he can be susceptible to leg and head kicks though Rodriguez's nickname is Vicious, and it's perfect fit for his fighting style. He's been beating up people on the Alaska scene who weren't exactly good. He pressures forward with heavy southpaw offense, kicks and punches are hard. Look, Rodriguez should not be overlooked here. Victor fought tomato cans, but I think it's because the Alaska scene sucks, and that's the way they matchmake prospects, right? So he's done his part in running through these guys that he's been uh, matched up against. He's taking this fight on short notice, though, so I favor Rodriguez. But his takedown defense better be on point because Victor's ground and pound is legit. If he gets on top, man, like that's a scary place to be. Uh, So I, I consider this to be a closer one than you do, certainly a closer one than the odds suggest, but... But I am there with you on the pick. Nick, my next one.
1: Well, oh, wait, wait, wait. I just want to add that the Victor's from Soldotna, Alaska. It's a home rule city in the Kenai Peninsula borough. Um, elevation 105 feet. And a population- I'm actually dozing off, Nick. In 2018, uh, just <laughs> under 5,000 at 5, uh, 4,689.
0: Thank you for the that. Mayor
1: Nick. is is Pete Sprague.
0: Nick, don't we have to go in eleven minutes? We've got a card to break down here, buddy. <laughs> well,
1: I just I know that you like I know that you like when I add in fun facts on the fly, Stan. It's wonderful. It, it's it's truly, what I bring truly, it's what I bring to the show. Okay, go ahead.
0: It is it is wonderful, Nick. I am going to pick as my next one. I'm gonna take Uriah Hall to beat Anderson Silva. Silva is a fraction of the fighter he used to be. Like, even in his prime, I'm not convinced that he would be top five in the current UFC climate. Uriah Hall is a top five quality fighter at age 36. In his last eight fights, Anderson Silva only has one win in his record, and that was a bad decision in his favor over Derek Brunson. Uriah Hall has been looking his best lately, going three and one in his last four. With that one loss being to Paula Costa in a fight where he knocked Costa down. Silva's defense stats in the UFC overall are solid, but if you zoom into the stats over the past eight years, he took more shots than he landed in every fight but one in the last eight years. Nick, since he is getting older and and kind of off the juice, Silva doesn't do very much damage with his offense anymore. That knockout ability has suddenly disappeared, right? All the while, Hall has been looking better than ever. He may have the best jab in the sport, and he still carries serious power in, in all his limbs, having knocked down or knocked out his last three opponents. I think eye Hall can still lose this fight if he pulls like a Derek Brunson or an Israel Adesanya against Silva, where like the guys just kind of respected him too much and kind of treated him like he's a legend with serious mystique, and which kind of kept them from putting him away but as long as your eye hall stays busy he should be able to finish this fight if he lets the moment get to his head this could be a boring fight with two counter fighters circling each other while throwing the occasional feint so we're going to hope for an exciting one here
1: okay well and you felt you have felt that jab the best jab in MMA which explains both um you know your nose and the way that you've got sort of limited mental capacity moving on um, God damn it, i'm going to go with <laughs> I'm going to go with the, with, uh, I think it's Nasty, the redneck submission machine, Bryce Mitchell to take on Andre Touchy Feely in a battle between just two <laughs> goofy motherfuckers, frankly. But, you know, I, Bryce Mitchell's a treat to watch and he's absolutely a a, a a savant, a preternatural. I mean, obviously, he trains really hard, but like a preternatural, remarkable uh, talent on the ground and with his jujitsu. He made Charles Rosa look like a white belt. No offense to Rosa. And well, that's not true because he didn't submit him and Rosa survived. He just was on the receiving end of like, it was just a rough, it was a rough go for him. Yeah, right? it was. I shouldn't insult him and say he looked like a white belt because he did manage to avoid getting tapped. I think, right. He, he, he yeah, got, to it was a decision. decision. It was dumb. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and Andre Feely, you know, he's gotten much better. He's like a, se- he's like a second, second tier team alpha male fighter. Um, He alternates wins and losses a lot. His fights are always really interesting. He's a fun, he's a fun, talented guy to watch. I, you know, his, he's got a body type that's sort of susceptible and in takedown defense, where I think he's a little more susceptible to takedowns than a lot of those, those hobbit shaped team alpha male guys. Um, And I think he's going to end up, you know, even though his jujitsu is good, I think he's going to end up on his back here and like. As good as I think Andre Feely is, you can't fuck with Bryce Mitchell uh, in that position. And my fear is that Andre Feely is going to spend too much time in that position. Uh, he'll have his moments on the feet. Like I said, he's a talented guy. But I don't see Bryce Mitchell having too much trouble getting this fight where he wants it. And he's going to have an edge when he gets it there.
0: Yeah, Bryce Mitchell is a blue-chip prospect at featherweight, undefeated at 13-0 and 4-0 and and in the UFC. Against, like, not ranked, but pretty tough competition, I'd say which is why I'm surprised he's not a bigger favorite here, especially considering the fact that Philly is kind of a high-level journeyman who's never been able to string together more than two wins in the UFC without stopping his progress with a loss. Bryce Mitchell is a very talented grappler, and Philly has pretty mediocre takedown defense, even though he has made big improvements in his overall wrestling game in the last couple of years. Bryce has been training with a Division I team in Little Rock, Arkansas, and it shows as his takedowns have been kind of unstoppable in the last couple of fights. He's one of the two only men to score a twister in the UFC, and he is an expert at it, almost admitting Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt Charles Rosa with that move multiple times as he dominated him on the ground, which you talked about. Standing up, Philly should have a slight edge with his diverse kicking game and reach advantage, but Mitchell is pretty solid southpaw and an incredibly quick learner. Um, he hasn't been standing almost at all in his last two fights, so I'm curious how much his stand-up has progressed since the Ultimate Fighter, where he looked pretty good, man, a solid left hand uh philly has a good chance if he can keep it standing long enough but i think mitchell should take this and he'll probably dominate on the ground if he can consistently get it there he might be a hardcore trump supporter but he's the most likable queen guy i can think of nick
1: wow it took you like twice as long to basically reiterate what i said so what's your pick you're dead to me nick dead my next
0: pick is going to be dustin jagobi to beat justin Ledette uh Dustin Jacoby like look Ledette is a good boxer with terribly low output Jacoby is a kickboxer with serious confidence who might even have the ground game advantage in this matchup Jacoby should outstrike him for a clean decision or a late ground and pound finish uh here's the thing I I think Jacoby you know he was kind of a mid-level MMA fighter for a while there kind of an well all-rounder who had skills medium skills everywhere Actually fought in the UFC a couple of years ago, washed out of there, went to glory and like really focused on his kickboxing, actually beat a training partner of mine, uh, Wayne Barrett, who was ranked in glory at the time, Uh, really made huge improvements there. Coming back to MMA now after several years off and looking really good standing, he's not blowing guys out of the water, but he's he's solid, man. That jab is consistent. He's fast compared to a lot of the other guys at light heavyweight. Uh, And I I think he's going to have the edge here wherever he wants it, uh, unless his gas tank fails him.
1: Yeah, I had the exact same uh, exact same pick. Um, I still can't get over Justin the loss to Johnny Walker. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and yeah, say exact same. We got a, a limited time to wrap up here, so I'm gonna zoom through uh, my next pick, which is I was one. I'm surprised you didn't take it. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, the Great Alexander the Great Hernandez. Um, although you know he's coming, he's only. He could be zero three in his last three. He lost to Cerrone in a fight where he came in overconfident. He beat the very very tough uh, Francesco Trinaldo in a fairly controversial disputed decision, uh, and he got, uh, you know, he kind of got beat up pretty bad by Drew Dober, who's a, a next who's a next level uh, prospect. But up against here, he's fighting Grits Chris uh, Grootsmacher, who even though he's fourteen and three. And had to win over over Joe Lozon? Like we're talking about, you know, someone who's got losses to Artem Lobov, Chaskelly, and, and Davi Ramos. Um, not the not the same level of guys that Hernandez has been losing to. Um, he also has really really short reach, and I believe he's considerably shorter than Alexander the Great. Uh, well, not considerably shorter, like an inch shorter, but he's but he's got a pretty significant reach disadvantage. Um, Hernandez coming out of Factory X. Really, you know, he's just a good, he's a good all around, you know, next gen prototype MMA fighter. Uh, who I think got too, either too much too soon or had some mental cracks in his game. But he's facing a, you know, he's also a guy that knocked out uh, Benil Dariush like two years ago, which is a big, which is a big, big deal. Um, Darius is, I mean, he fixed his, his chin issues, I guess, to some extent. But, um, the fact is, he's a there, he's a much, uh, he was considered a blue chip prospect. He's maybe one level down now. And, this is giving him a chance to get back on that path. It's the closest example of the UFC doing anyone a favor, I think, in matchmaking. Doesn't mean his head will be on so straight that he can that he can get by this or that the slacking that Drew Dober gave him just uh, five months ago isn't going to have an effect on how he approaches things. But really, this should be Hernandez's fight to lose.
0: Yeah, I'm there with you. Gritzmarker is a pressure fighter, and it's mostly because he's not athletic, not fast. He's kind of plotting. But again, if you have those lack of attributes, pressure is probably your best game to go with. Uh, His three losses are all by submission, so grappling seems to be a particularly weak point for him. Hernandez is super fast, super athletic, really good takedowns. He was overpowered by Drew Dober, but Gritzmarker is no Drew Dober. Hernandez should have his way as long as uh, he's in a good place mentally. So I'm there with you. My next pick is this is where it gets really tough, Nick. I am going to take Courtney Casey to beat Priscilla Cacherera. Priscilla basically just has a right hand and Courtney Casey tends to lose fights that seem to be in her favor. So like it's it's a tough one. I don't know why Courtney Casey's this big of a favorite, but I'm gonna go with Courtney
1: Casey here. I was going with her also. Yeah, you don't you don't quite know what you're gonna get. Um and there's a reason why you know we had let that let it go. My last pick, um, I'm gonna go with Jason Witt over Cole, Cole Williams. And when I looked that up and stuff, I cannot remember what I found that led me to that decision. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll save, I'll save you me doing research on the fly. I guess I mean, my guess is you're going to have the same pick, so I'll let you tell the story.
0: Yeah, uh, Jason Witt is a pretty skilled overall fighter. He doesn't have the best durability. He can get cracked like he did in his UFC debut. He's got good wrestling though and pretty good striking fundamentals. I think Cole Williams is going to be the sharper striker, so I do favor Cole Williams. But this is, you know, oh. this is the last fight on my list. Uh, And it's because it could go either way in a lot of ways. I just, uh, I like Cole Williams standing up and the fact that Jason Witt doesn't have an awesome chin. Kind of adds to that for me and he's coming off a knockout loss. My final picnic, I'm picking the upset. I'm picking Kevin Natividad to beat Miles Johns. I think Miles Johns is largely kind of overrated. Just if you watch his UFC career so far on the contender series, he fought kind of a mediocre opponent, and then his two UFC bouts, he looked very mediocre and was very fortunate to walk away with a win against uh against Cole in his UFC debut. Um I think Kevin Navidad, who's just a ferocious striker, is a hawaiian so he's got that kind of uh, mentality um ferocious striker man like he can get hit and he'll still counter you and land big on you uh and he's got a brazilian jiu-jitsu brown buff from what i understand so even if miles Jones does have like he doesn't have much output miles Jones doesn't right but even if he does go for takedowns i think kevin nostra natividad should be okay there um so i, I like uh, the upset in that one as well that's two upset picks in a row for me nick i assume you disagree with this one
1: uh yeah i did
0: I thought I so. did. I,
1: I did disagree, but well. So we see only see what happens. I. Yep. Yeah. yeah, we only disagreed on two of the less of the you know, lower lesser fights. I. This will be a tough one. I mean, it could I could see this going either way, uh, for us. I could also see us for both. And this is an even number of fight, right?
0: Oh yes, it is six apiece.
1: I mean, I I got a feeling we're going to end up in a tie. All it's going to take is as long as as long as Jason Whit beats Cole Williams. Um, I, have a f- I think it's very likely we end up with a tie. I can see us both going undefeated in this one. I just don't see it as being a heavy upset card.
0: Yeah, I mean there are a lot of lopsided odds here. I would be surprised if there isn't at least one or two upsets in the in those like eight eight or nine fights where the odds are just so lopsided. This could go either way. But I want to remind you of one important thing, Nick. Because you win one event, because you score one point, it doesn't mean you're champion. You gotta you gotta get more points than me, buddy. Work on that. Will
1: a, you? I don't know. You're talking. You're talking about math. You're talking about a system. I'm a champion in spirit. I'm a champion <laughs> in my heart. And at the end of the year, I'm going to be ahead, Stan. I'm not that far behind. I guess in many you were, ways. You, Nick, you were way, you were so you were so far ahead for so long. And over the last five, oh, basically during covid, i I've in that window of time, I have been more successful.
0: You've been semi-competitive, Nick, and I, and I
1: congratulate you on that. I, 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 really I have do. beat you more than I have not beat you over the last like four or five months.
0: Sixteen to eleven. I'm not sure how you get to that conclusion, but fair enough, Nick. Well, because well
1: because I was tw- I was <laughs> because I was three and I was three and eleven. That's how.
0: You were not three and eleven. But but it wasn't far off. No, you you have been you have been kind of uh, marching back, Nick. Uh, but let's face it, Nick, it's it's not that competitive. I'm superior when it comes to picking fights. But but when it comes to writing books, Nikolai, when it comes to doing research live on the podcast and matchmaking, that's where you
1: have the edge. Man, leaving me spe- leaving me speechless. <laughs> I, I'm gonna we'll see. God forbid I win this card. You're gonna hear it.
0: I'm gonna hear it, but I'm still gonna be champion, Nick. You got, you got to win. Here's the thing: you got to understand one thing. We've got about eight weeks left in this year, and we're gonna presume that there's seven or eight UFC events, Nick. You got no, to there's win. More. There's five events just in November. Oh, that, that, that's good. And that'll give you more of an opportunity. But, Nick, you basically have to win almost every event to beat me this year at this point. That's how far along we are. And then we can reset at the end of December leading into January. We can reset, Nick, because you're going to need that reset. But you got to win almost every event until then to beat me uh, this year, Nikolai. Good luck on that. I'm a winner. Yeah, you are. You, you are a winner. You're, you're the GOAT, Nick, like Artem Lobov
1: is the GOAT. The greatest of all time. I'm that – holy shit. I can't – I would Khabib smack you so fast right now if we were in the same place and you just compared me to Artem Lobov.
0: But Nick, I'm the one that's from like the Soviet Union and you know, who has more experience in the fighting sports. Alleg- <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly.
1: I'm going to find, I'm going to find, that's just some shtick that you do to like improve your branding and create mystique. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find out you're from like Tulsa.
0: I am from Tulsa, Oklahoma. That would that would explain you're a lot.
1: You're from Tulsa. You're from Tulsa, and you have a tanning bed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't realize that like tanning beds were big in Tulsa. Uh, but Nick, I'm quickly gonna run. No,
1: they're not. It was it's part of it's hard. It's part of your whole. Uh, I see. It's know, part of my gimmick. Funny. <laughs> it's, it's part of your. It's part of your Uzbek gimmick. The the
0: tanning <laughs> bed just comes with me wherever I go, Nick. I'm kind of like Trump, that installed a tanning bed in the White House before he installed a regular bed.
1: You're so you're so you were so lazy when you made up a country to be from. You took the last four letters of it as your first name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is very funny. Nikolai, your right. first pick was Sean Strickland, Bobby Green second. You took Adrian Yanez third. Your fourth pick was Bryce Mitchell fifth, you took Alexander Hernandez, and your final pick was Jason Witt. My first pick was Greg Hardy, second, I took Kevin Holland, third, Uriah Hall, fourth, Justin uh, Jacoby, excuse me, fifth, Courtney Casey, and my final pick was Kevin Natividad to beat Miles Johns. Another good one in the books, Nikolai. Looking forward to celebrating the fact that I am still champion this time next week, buddy.
1: Yeah, I'll talk to you. I hope you have a mediocre week. Goodbye. (laughs) Later, bud.
0: Nick is done for the episode, but we're going to take a break, come back, and give you guys the MMA Geeks betting guide, which had a huge profit last week. And I'm back for the MMA Geeks betting guide. Last week, like I said earlier in the episode, was a really good week for us. We're now at over a thousand dollars. Started off at three hundred bucks just two months ago, so last week's bets really worked out. Joel Alvarez, fifty dollar profit. Rachmanov, sixty dollar profit. Haws and Uncle Live in a parlay, fifty dollar profit. Lauren Murphy and Khabib Nurmagomedov, fifty dollar profit uh, in a combined parlay. uh had a prop bit of Casey Kenny by decision, $60 profit. And then we had another parlay of Maverick, Tuivasa, and Whitaker. Tuivasa and Whitaker being in super close matchups when it comes to the betting gods. $13 to win $50 on that one, and that one hit as well. We did lose $50 on a couple of hedge bets on Gaethje and Nathaniel Wood. Uh, all worked out last week. I'm very happy with that result. We got a 76% return on investment, which is pretty darn big. Like I said, over a $1,000 tally at this point. Let's get into this weekend's UFC and some of the opportunities that the odds open up for us. First, I've got a straight bet on Cole Williams at plus 125, $60 to win 75. Not only does Cole Williams have a wrestling background and over 100 wrestling wins in his college days, but he's a really adept striker, really dangerous gritty on the feet i like his odds against jason witt who doesn't have the best chin even though he's an overall good fighter uh, i think that cole williams is going to look good here and 60 investment to profit 75 sounds good to me also not tv uh. also i'm not super impressed with miles john so far in the ufc i think he's honestly overrated I think his output is low and he isn't mentally all there in a fight he's not doing the things that'll give him the highest likelihood of success so for that reason I recommend a straight bet on his opponent Nati 140 35 bucks to win 49 on that one Uh, Kevin Atividad is just all-pressure, serious power. Even if he gets hit, he will counter you with a bomb. And Miles Johns is coming off of a knockout loss. Uh, Probably one of my least confident bets on this card. Besides for this next one, a little bit of a throwaway bet. Rodriguez, who's fighting Yanez, $17 to win 50. Plus 290 odds. I just feel like the odds are way too lopsided here. I picked Giannis to win, but I think Rodriguez has a chance. He's gritty. He's dangerous. He's vicious. That's his nickname, and that is super appropriate. So 17 bucks. It's a bit of a throwaway bet. I figure, worst case, we lose 17 but the potential profit makes it worth the risk. Next, I've got a couple of prop bets. First, on Dustin Jacoby, by decision, plus 205, $25 to win, 51. Jacoby is a big favorite. Uh, right around minus 300 here. I don't feel like betting him at those odds, and I don't necessarily feel like parlaying him. I do think it's very likely that he's going to decision in his matchup with Ladette. Ladette is a decent boxer, and I expect that's where this fight's going to take place is on the feet. And I think Ladette, at the very least, will you know survive to the scorecards. And I think there's also a chance Ladette looks good in that third round as Jacoby tires out a bit. So Jacoby by decision, twenty five dollars to win, fifty one. And also Sean Strickland. I think he's going to finish this fight. The odds on him finishing the fight are plus 165. That's not good enough for me. I want better odds. I know he's a huge favorite as a straight bet. But I'm going to place two bets on Sean Strickland. I think he's going to finish it plus 600 by submission. I don't know why the odds are so high on one of the betting websites for this prop here. Sean Strickland by submission, $15 to win 90 on that one. And then I'm also going to place a bet on Sean Strickland by knockout because I think there's a good chance he gets a TKO on the ground plus 350 on that, $15 to 153. So one of these bets, at least, is definitely not going to work out for me, right? So I might lose 15 and I could profit for the other bet, or worst case, I lost 30 bucks. I won't lose any sleep over that. And then I've got a few parlays for you guys. First, Greg Hardy and Bobby Green, about minus 131 odds combined in a parlay, $65 to 150 on Green and Hardy. Also, Uriah Hall and Hernandez. I think Hernandez is way more powerful, way more explosive, and way faster than Gritzmiker. And I think that, your eye Hall is going to have a lot of edges over Silva as long as he's mentally in a good place. $63 to win $50 on Hernandez and Hall. Plus, my final parlay is going to be Bobby Green and Bryce Mitchell. I'm putting Bobby Green in two parlays here. It's usually a risky proposition, but I like his odds against Moises here. Bobby Green, is takedown defense is great, and Moises has nothing for him on the feet. He's going to need a takedown in order to do well. And even there, I think Bobby Green can get up quickly. Bryce Mitchell, this is a tough one. I can see this going either way, but I am going to favor Bryce Mitchell, who I think probably has the higher ceiling, uh, is more consistent, should have the wrestling advantage, at least offensively. And I think he can keep up on the feet if he really needs to. $40 to 150 on Bobby Green and Bryce Mitchell. That'll do it for the best for this week, folks, and I'm hoping we can turn another big profit here. We're approaching quadrupling our initial investment of $300 bucks 2 months ago. Even Bernie Madoff couldn't get you that kind of return, and that guy had a fugazi operation. I'm just saying we're doing pretty well here. Now, let's quickly take a look at next week's UFC. UFC Fight Night Santos versus Teixeira. Surprisingly promising card coming up on November 7th. Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira, obviously main eventing. This very well will lead to the next contender, that light heavyweight division. Uh, I expect Tiago Santos to look good here, but Glover is a nasty mofo himself. Ian Heinich, Brendan Allen, great matchup at 185. Two prospects with only three losses apiece. Excited about that one. Claudia Gandelia is coming up against Xiaonan Yan. Uh, really good matchup at 115 pounds. Andrei Arlovski, Tanner Belzer. Uh, passing of the guard situation. Andrei Ilovsky has won plenty of these sorts of bouts. Uh, his opponent isn't known for having serious power, so that should be interesting. And then we finally get Alexander Romanov coming back. I'm excited about this guy. I have been for a long time. He's going up against Marcos Rogério de Lima. Now, what is killing me is that Romanov was basically even with DeLima when they were scheduled to compete a couple of months ago, but now he's a huge favorite because people have seen him. I was really going to take advantage of that bet. That's unfortunate, but uh, Romanov is someone I'm very excited about. Looking forward to that one. Trevor Giles versus Bevon Lewis is a decent fight, and Max Griffin versus Ramiz Brahimaj isn't bad, I guess. Darren Elkins, Eduardo Garagori, wrestler versus grappler matchup. And then we have Honey Barcelos, who's a serious prospect at 135, Going up against fellow prospect Kali Taha. Both these guys, really, really good standing. Taha has insane power. And Honey Barcelos has excellent, excellent boxing on top of his elite level jiu-jitsu. So really solid card top to bottom, man. Like if you add a serious title fight onto this one, it could easily be a legitimate pay-per-view. So a lot to look forward to next week. Thanks for listening, folks. Looking forward to discussing next week's results. I think this week's could go either way, and so we might just have to sit through Nick Broccia boasting about his win again. But I guess that's probably a little more tolerable than me boasting about mine. Have a great week, y'all.